0: very thankful uh, that we're here this morning. I'm thankful that uh, we have the opportunity to open the Word of God, and it is the Word of God. And so we want to be thankful to the Lord that He chose to reveal Himself, to show us who He is through His Word. We're not left in wonder or mystery, um, but we have uh, the truth of God as revealed to us through His Word. And that's something to be excited about, that's uh, something to be thankful for, and it's something not to take lightly. And so, if you've been around here a few times, one of the reasons we, one of the ways we don't take the Word of God lightly, is by really studying it, really getting into it, and really dividing it, uh, rightly dividing it. Hopefully, every time um, the Word of God. So we're going to continue to do that today. We're going to be in Romans chapter three. Uh, we're going to look at twenty-seven through twenty-one today in the in the meat of our study. Um, But what I want to really look at today is some results of this justification. What major attributes are produced in me as a result of this justification? Really, if we had two hours, this could have been the application part of last week's sermon. Um, But since we don't have two hours, it'll be um, a sermon in and of itself. And uh, so today we won't, uh, it'll be a shorter week, Uh, it'll be a shorter sermon, Um, And that helps because we have, you know, our little cleanup thing afterwards anyway. Um, But I think still it's uh, important, uh, that's why I didn't add it last week, it's important that we stop and uh, see what the Lord has to say through this text. Last week we discussed what satisfies the demands of God's just nature. Um, I was originally planning on sort of extending that idea into this week, um, and I'm not going to do that exactly, but I do want to just remind us of what satisfies the demands of God's just nature. We saw, as I hope we see in some way every week, that it was actually Christ's sacrifice and Christ's sacrifice alone that satisfies the demand of the just nature of God. We have been seeing about justification over the last few weeks, not by the works of law, not by something we could have done, not some, by something we could have earned. It's the free gift of God. It is by, uh, through Christ alone, by faith alone. It was by his blood we talked about last week. We talked about specifically how his wrath was satisfied, how his demand for justice was satisfied. We talked specifically about it being by his blood, about it being by his death. We saw how this sacrifice reconciled both the Old Testament saints and the New Testament saints, all the way until he returns. With the ultimate conclusion being God remains just and holy because the sacrifice of Jesus is still, was then, and will forevermore be a worthy sacrifice, an appeasing sacrifice. It pleased the Lord. It satisfied the Lord. Will you look with me really quickly so we can just kind of... um, just look back through this just really quickly. Romans 3, verse 25, that Drew just read. Whom God put forth as a propitiation, a pleasing sacrifice, a sufficient sacrifice, propitiation means a pleasing sacrifice by his blood, his blood, by, uh, to be received by faith. This is to show, this was to show the righteousness of. Of God because of his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. What Paul is uh, saying here is that um, it could seem like God is unjust because he did not look to the Old Testament saints that who lived by faith and who were justified in the same way he has looked at everybody else. From the New Testament on, it says Jesus is the way. And if Jesus was not the way to justify the Old Testament saints as he is a way to justify the New Testament saints, then it might seem to you and others that God is unjust. But what we find out is, is that the righteousness of God is displayed in the fact that Christ is a sufficient sacrifice for those former saints of old, of the Old Covenant, who were who were righteous by faith as he is for the New Testament saints from, from then, from his um, first coming until he returns again. So that's sort of where we are today. And today, um, as an introduction to chapter 4, but also as sort of application and for some clarity, I want us to look at some attributes we show as a result of our justification. Justification. And for that we'll read Romans 3:27 through 31. Romans 3:27 through 31. <coughs> then what becomes of our boasting? Is it excluded? By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then overthrow the law by faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. We pray with me today. Lord, would you teach us from your word, would you help us to understand that your word is true, it is real, it is active, it is sharper than any, two, any two-edged sword is able to teach us and heal us and make us more like you. Lord, would you make us more like Christ? We love you. We're thankful that you love us first so that we have the ability to love you and love others. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen, I have three ideas from our text today that we need to be reminded of. I think all three are equally important, but not exactly uh, in the ways that i 've always thought, and I hope to kind of explain that today. These attributes or results of justification come about because salvation is in Christ alone so The three kind of ideas, and they'll be up there separately, but I want to give them to you today at first. No, they'll be up there as we go. Because we are justified by grace alone, by faith alone, through Christ alone, we have no cause for boasting. These are results of our justification. Because we are justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, we have no cause for boasting. Because we are justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, we have no cause for division. Because we are justified by grace alone, in faith alone, through Christ alone, the law is confirmed. These will be up here as we go today, so you don't have to write all those so quickly. I want to approach the first one for you. Since we have been justified by Christ alone, we should put away all pride. There have been a lot of times in my life when the statements, because of your dad or because of your father, they have assisted me greatly in my life. There have actually been several instances on the side of the road where those words have been a lifesaver. Mr. Holbrook, do you know why I pulled you over today? Yes, officer. But a better question is, do you know Bruce Holbrook? (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly how it happens, actually. Um, I have no shame in that. I remember a time in high school um, where I was pulled over, and I should have gotten a ticket. And the officer came to my car, and he said, is your dad a Memphis police officer? And I said, why, yes, sir, he is. As a matter of fact, why do you ask? Well, I've worked with him before, and he's a good man. And I'm not going to give you a ticket today, but that's the only reason why. But I promise you, if I see you do what you did, which I will not announce right now, if I see you do what you did again, you will get a ticket. Drive safer. Although I've bragged about these stories a few hundred times, and I guess again today, Um, I didn't really have anything to personally brag about about. Even though I took on that sort of boast like it was my own, you know, it's a story that I tell confidently and sort of braggadociously, Um, I didn't have anything to personally brag about. I've also, there have been times in my life where I've gotten approval approval for things or certain fringe benefits, I'm convinced, because of my dad. I don't, I can't prove this to be true, but our names are one letter off I'm convinced that my credit score started off as high as it was because they confused me with my father somehow i can't, i can't I can't be hundred percent certain of that, but um, it was no credit of my own. There you go, Blake. so um, so it's something that completely comes from outside of ourselves uh, that we can't take credit for. It would actually be foolish for me to take credit for getting out of a ticket only because the officer knew my father and knew his name and knew what kind of, type of person my dad was. But the crazy thing is we do this type of stuff all the time. We take action. We take pride um, for things that um, we have nothing to do with. This is the exact definition of spiritual pride. When we take credit for something where no credit is due to us, this is in a spiritual way, this is the exact definition of spiritual pride. Now pride in a spiritual sense is much different than pride that we often condemn. We are quick to condemn someone who brags or even just discusses their personal abilities in life or the things that God is sort of doing in their lives. If they're a Christian, they give credit to God. If they're not, they probably don't. But while showing little remorse as we boast, um, whether verbally or sort of in our hearts, about our spiritual deservedness, which actually, friends, is the pride that we should condemn first. I would contest to you, that the things that we often call pride, um, oftentimes, not always, are, we confuse with just being confident about things in our life, or confident or grateful about what God might give us. The pride that we should condemn in our own lives, the pride that we should root out in our own lives, is spiritual a sense of spiritual entitlement, or a sense of spiritual deservedness. This is the pride that we should root out in our own lives. This is the pride we should help others in a humble way see in their own. We should work harder at any uh, at, than anything else in our lives to root out pride than any other sin in our lives. Because I believe, as other th- um, as theologians have thought throughout. History that pride is the sin pride is the sin, and a bunch of other sin can be sort of headed off at the pass if you 've watched an old cowboy movie uh, can be headed off at the past by controlling, by beating down, by taking on pride in our own life c s Lewis says. Uh, said at one time, the essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all of that are more flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. John Piper said I was born into a believing family through no merit of my own at all. I was given a mind to think and a heart to feel through merit through no merit of my own at all. I was brought into the hearing of the gospel through no merit of my own at all. My rebellion was subdued, my hardness removed, my blindness overcome and my deadness awakened through no merit of my own at all. Thus I became a believer in Christ through no merit of my own at all, and so I'm an heir to God <coughs> of God with Christ through no merit of my own at all. Now when I put forward effort to please the Lord who bought me, this is to me no merit of my own at all, because it is not I, but the grace of God that is in me, he noted 1 Corinthians 15.10. God is working in me that which is pleasing in his sight, Hebrews 13.21. He fulfills every resolve for good by his powers, uh, 2 Thessalonians. And Hebrews 13.21, he fulfills every resolve for good, excuse me, yep, 2 Thessalonians 1.11. I said that wrong. Sorry. He, re- he fulfills every resolve for good by his power. 2 Thessalonians 1.11. And therefore there is no ground for boasting in myself, but only in God's mighty grace. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 1.31. Spurgeon said it more simply. Grace puts its hand on boasting's mouth and shuts it once and for all. It is the gift and justification that we have seen through Christ that eliminates boasting. Pride should be put to death in us. Pride, like any other sin, should be put to death in us. But even though we put work into eliminating that sin, our lack of boasting is much more about our theology and much more about what God, a proof of what God has done in our lives than it is just beating that sin down. Boasting about our life, about our circumstances, and our ability to overcome sin is surely a sign that pride has not been eliminated for our li- from our life. So how do we know that we struggle with this spiritual pride? How do we know that we struggle with this spiritual pride? The first way I think is we have a high view of man's role in salvation. The higher view that we have of ourselves and our role in our salvation, the higher view that we are the higher prideful view that we have. The idea that we could choose God, the idea that we could quicken ourselves, that we could awaken ourselves, the idea that a dead man can raise himself to life. The higher view that we have of man's role in salvation The stronger we know that pride exists in our life. What's another way? When we act as if we operate independently from God's grace. We act as if we operate independently from God's grace. This is when we do not depend on God for our sanctification. This is not when we do not depend on God for our sanctification. Listen, for many years, I deceived myself to believe that my prayer life stunk because I just trusted in God too much. This is idiotic as I think about it. But I believe that my prayer life was was so short and so concise because I just had so much faith in the Lord that He would do it. I had so much faith in the Lord that he would take care of things. Friends, I want to tell you something. You may never have experienced that. You might not even be able to relate with me, but I want to tell you something. Faith, where pride has been pushed down, pushes you and draws you to prayer instead of pushes you away from it. Faith, where pride has been pushed down, draws you to, to glean from God through other spiritual disciplines like scripture memory, like reading the Bible not to say, I'm good today. Because the truth of the matter is, a faith where pride is pushed down shows our inability, which therefore reveals our neediness, which therefore makes us desperate, which then only can cause us to lean, not on our own understanding, but lean on the grace and the love and the power that only comes from God. Friends, when we draw away from prayer, when we draw ourselves away from the spiritual disciplines, it has nothing to do with time. Every time someone tells me, "I just don't," I haven't made the time. I don't have the time. I, my 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 bull crud meter goes off. The reason, friends, the reason, friends, we don't rely through on God through prayer or other spiritual disciplines is not because of time. It's not because of energy. It is because of pride. And there are two areas that that covers. Either we think we've got it, or we think what God has can never get it for us. Do you hear me? Pride, insecurity is still pride. Because it's saying, God, what you have is not good enough for me. It may be good for others, it may help others, but it can't help me. So we don't call on the Lord in prayer. We don't go to him through his word. We don't memorize the Scriptures. We don't practice other spiritual disciplines for two reasons. We think, God, we got this, or God, what you got is not good enough for me. When we have a high view of man's role in salvation, like we can choose God, we, are, we know that we are still struggling with spiritual pride. When we act as if we operate independently from the grace of God, we know that we are still struggling with spiritual pride. And here's one that's huge. And friends, this is what the church is for. This is why we have open doors like we do at our church. This is why you should feel on some level that you have at least one person, if not me, someone else, that you can go to, that you can lean on, that you can tell, heavy things to in this congregation, one way we surely know that we struggle with spiritual pride is when we conceal our neediness from those around us. When we conceal our neediness from those around us. One of the the craziest things a Christian, especially a Reformed sort of Calvinistic Christian can do, is try to make other people believe that they are not needy. It's to try to make other people believe that they do not need help. That things are perfect. That things are going exactly as you and God have planned them. There are two ways we do this. There are two ways we do this. This happens almost, I, I see this, I see this all the time. I've seen it all the time in my ministry life, and this is true. There are two ways that we conceal our neediness from those around us. Number one, we run away from the, from our faith family because of sin. We run away from our faith family because of sin. I will tell you, I've seen it a million times. The first reaction of people who are caught in sin but are not ready to surrender to that sin or not ready to surrender to the idea of their unfaithfulness is that they separate themselves from the body of Christ. Which as a Christian is the exact opposite thing that you should do. The other thing is we hide our ineptitude from other believers. We go on allowing others to think, that everything is perfect, I want, you to, I want you to know something church, just in case just in case you 've never figured it out. Hiding, hiding, or disguising sinful things or struggles in your life from a bunch of people who know and understand the depravity of God is a futile task. If everything in your life looks a little too perfect. Anybody with half a brain is going to know that you're hiding something, that you're deceiving. It's better and less stressful and more fruitful and more God-honoring down the line if we find people that we can trust in, we allow them to hold us accountable, and we pursue repentance. We know we struggle with spiritual pride when we conceal our neediness from those around us. Friends, we have no room to boast. The grace of God, justification by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone has given us no room to boast because everything is a gift. Even the basic aspects of our faith, our faith is a gift. As you are tempted to be prideful, I want to ask you some questions. Name one good thing in your life Right now in your head, name one good thing in your life that wasn't given to you by God. Name one good thing in your life that wasn't given to you by God. Name one, thank you, Thomas. Name one time in your life that you've ever overcome sin on your own. Even your ability to fight sin is a gift from God as we surrender. To his grace, to his love, to his mercy. Think about times in your life where you've expected openness and clarity from others about their life when you wouldn't ask the same or couldn't do the same yourself. Friends, we are all in the same boat, we are all in the same situation. We are desperate. We are broken. We are flawed. We are needy. And it does, and you all know that. It does no good to hide that. It does no good to assume anything else about anyone else. Definitely doesn't do it for your spiritual life, but it definitely puts a hamper on growth in the church. The most important aspect, besides all of that, those are kind of practical ideas. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. We have no boasting because of the work of Christ. The second thing is since we have been justified by Christ alone, we should put away all division. Look at verse 29. Or is it God or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one, who will justify the circumcised by faith? And the circumcised and the uncircumcised through faith. The question is asked by Paul: Is God saving the Jews only? Is God saving the Jews only? And of course, the answer was. He answers it here. He's answered it a thousand times, and it's answered in the other parts of the Gospels. No, that's not it. God is the God of the Gentiles. Also, But the reason this question was necessary is because the Jewish people hoarded their faith. They hoarded their faith. The Jews and the Gentiles are justified by faith. There is unity in faith. And that is a sure sign of Christ in us. Unity with others comes from gospel transformation. An openness to the idea that someone who you think couldn't possibly become a Christian can, through the grace of God and the mercy of God and the love of God and the salvation that only comes from God, can become a Christian is a sure sign that we understand what the gospel truly is telling us. The idea that someone who you never thought in a million years could be redeemed, can be, and is redeemed is a sure sign of this gospel reach because of the love and the mercy and the grace of Christ. Unity with others is a sure sign of gospel transformation. The Jews hoarded this, and I would say (laughs) we do a good job of doing that ourselves. Whether it's because of laziness or apathy or mainly just because... We don't care about that person because that person is not like us in a thousand other ways. We are much like this. To where God is asking us today and practically, is Jesus' blood only for Calvinists? Is Jesus' blood only for Baptist? Is Jesus' blood only for evangelicals? Or is the blood of Jesus for all who would believe So how do we relate to this? How do we relate knowing that the blood of Christ has broken down all divisions? I think there's two little things you need to see, and you can write these out if you want, but just remember them, please. We should work to eliminate fractures within the body of Christ. As much as we work to eliminate pride, we should also work to make sure we are not the cause of, in participation to, or even on board with in any way fractures within the body of Christ. Friends, I've said this a hundred thousand times and I'll say it again. Unity within the body of Christ is a sure way that the, the body of Christ and the world will know that Jesus is the Son of God. Unity within the body of Christ is a sure way that the world will know that Jesus is who He says He is. We should, uh, we should work to eliminate fractures within the body of Christ. We should work to eliminate fractures within the world. Now, this is a little more tricky, because I am convinced the only thing that reconciles the races in this world is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm convinced you have seen other ways about it, and they are not much successful. I am convinced that the only way the only way that we reconcile people of the different uh, ethnicities, di- different. Um, backgrounds, different um, political backgrounds, whatever it may be, the only way we reconcile those things is through the blood of Christ. And so as gospel receivers, part of our gospel proclamation is to bring peace and unity in the world through the gospel of Jesus Christ. I fell at this many times. A lot of times fear leads me to be a person that is not a person of peace, but as people who have received the grace of God, as people who are putting down pride in our lives, we should be humble enough to work to eliminate fractures within the body of Christ and to eliminate fractures within the world. No socioeconomic status, no personal personality types or likability, not race, no matter what it may be. No fractures like this. Now, understand there are natural fractures that happen. I mean, denominations exist because some people obey the Bible and some people don't. <laughs> denominations exist because sometimes of just simple preference. I don't, under, I don't think denominations are inherently fractures within the church. But I think we can work in some ways along these differences to be unified in Christ. For people who take a more Calvinistic standpoint, a more Reformed standpoint, this should be much easier. This should be much easier to say, look, we are all depraved, desperate, in need. The person who is full of sin is just in need as the person who is just sort of right on the crux of Christianity. It should be easy for the Reformed person, for the Calvinistic person, because we study and we know and we have a greater idea about theology. But the problem is, with knowledge tends to come this puffing up, this arrogance. So the more we know, the more we tend to somehow take credit for what God has done. Oh, do you know... Bruce Holbrook, and we walk away like, you know, like we got ourselves out of the ticket. When the more we know should lead us not to be puffed up, but to be the most humble people that we know, which sounds like a t-shirt or something Michael Scott would say. I'm the most humble person I know. I want to give you one more thing before we leave today. Since we have been justified by Christ alone, the law is confirmed by our lives. Since we have been justified by Christ alone, the law has been confirmed, is confirmed by our lives. Paul said, we never, may we never nullify the law, the law by our lives. May the gospel never nullify the law. He said, may it never be. This means a thousand times, no, no. May we confirm the law or establish the law, he says. Establish the law means to cause it to stand or to make firm. Often we talk about how the law establishes us. By keeping the law, we look, we talk, and we act more like Christ. So the law sort of establishes us as Christians. We show that we are a new creation by a transformation of our mind and our heart that leads to a whole life transformation. But also our lives confirm that the law and Christ are connected. When we keep the law and we are sort of conforming to this law, we are confirming in a small way that Christ is the perfect keeper of the law. When we obey the ways of God, we are saying that we are from God and that Jesus is God. If Jesus fulfilled the law, How then do we keep the law? If it's fulfilled, if it's sort of been taken care of, what is this law that it's talking about that we keep? I want to give you two ideas. This is not two points. This is just two things to think about as it concerns keeping the law. How do we keep the law and live by faith? The first is this. The Ten Commandments are a good place to start. The Ten Commandments were not thrown out. The idea of God's moral law is not thrown out. But more importantly, or or just as important, is the principle of the law. As Christians, as we keep the principle of the law, we honor God. We show Christ. Now, what do I mean by this? Have you ever known something to be sort of technically not wrong, but technically not right either? Like you aren't disobeying the law to do something, but you aren't exactly keeping the spirit of the law. This is a, this is classic Phariseeism. They had the law, but they could not keep the spirit of the law, so they created more rules and more regulations. That in trying to keep the law, they actually put further condemnation on themselves. There is one rule in basketball that's like this, and it bothers me to no end. There is a rule, you know, a, you know, a, you know what a foul is. Even if you're not a basketball fan, you know what a foul is, right? A foul is when you hit someone's body instead of the ball, you know, while they're shooting or while they're dribbling or in in any action in a game. Well, there's this thing where at the end of the game, a team can be up by three points. And there's a strategy where if the team um, who is playing defense is up by three points, they will intentionally foul someone who is not in the act of shooting Because if you foul someone who is not in the act of shooting, they have to go shoot free throws. But the problem is, they only get two free throws. They only get two free throws. So the spirit of the law is that a foul rewards the person who is being fouled. But above this spirit of the law is someone who fouls someone in order to take advantage of a rule in their favor. Friends, I want to tell you, When we keep the spirit of the law, not just keep the law, not just obey the laws, but when we keep the spirit of the law, we are honoring God in a way that cannot be described. The current legal system is called the justice system, but it hasn't been just for a very long time. If you understand how the legal system works at all, it is infuriating almost to the point where it drives you crazy. But the legal system is legitimately set up now not to find an innocent person, but to get a not guilty or guilty verdict based on what you are trying to do. The legal system is not set up in order to determine innocence, but in order to win, depending on what side of the case you are on. This is not within the spirit of the law, friends. So we can keep the Ten Commandments, we can do what God says, but we can also look at things like the sacrifices. We can also look at things like the ordinances that God had, and we can say, there must be a reason for this. There must be a reason that God made these rules and regulations. What is the spirit of the law? The spirit of the law is that God is holy, and He expects me to be holy. So I should, as, as a person who is seeking holiness, I should examine every area of my life to make sure that I'm seeking to be more like God. Christ. That's just one example of how keeping the spirit of the law is even sometimes more important than just keeping a law. When we follow the commands of God and in the spirit of the law, we confirm, friends, that Christ is God and we confirm the law. I will tell you, take it from someone who knows. Pride will stunt spiritual growth faster than anything else in this world. Abandonment of spiritual pride, neediness upon God and upon other brothers and sisters, openness and honesty, confession, repentance before God and before your fellow man will almost exclusively always lead to repentance and growth. I will tell you, it is embarrassing to have to tell you some of the things that I deal with in my life, some of the sins that I have faced, some of the sins that I'm a part of. It's embarrassing to reveal some things about my character to you, but it keeps me accountable. But also, it reminds me And it reminds you that we are not perfect and we are desperately in need of the grace of God. So that heaven is not full of a bunch of people with a tablet that they carry around or a sandwich board that they walk around with confessing all of the good that they had done to get there. Heaven is full of people who are robed in the righteousness of Christ alone. Because if you are not, if that is not your dependence, you will not be there. Let's pray. God, you're good and you're holy, and we trust you. We love you. We pray that you would help us to be more like you, to be conformed in the image of your Son, that you would humble us, Lord. God, I pray that we don't have to learn the hard way, that you would humble us right now by your words so that we don't have to be taught by months and years of misery that you would humble us so that we can receive the help that we need. We can be in community with our brothers and sisters, and we can draw closer to you because we are closer to each other. God, I praise you, and I thank you, and I pray that you would just help us to be more like you every day, to grow as a church in the likeness of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.